Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, uh, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Today I'd like to talk with you about developing a more mission-focused lifestyle or uh, developing a more uh, evangelism-conscious lifestyle. Uh, I want to talk with you about uh, what it means to be deployed as a believer in the culture with the gospel as opposed to being dispersed with the gospel. Now, those two words uh, draw a pretty significant contrast, deployed, not dispersed. Now, what's the difference? Well, uh, when a deployed person thinks of themselves as going away from Christian fellowship and away from church participation on mission with the gospel, intentionally trying to connect with, with the lost people about Jesus Christ. Dispersed people, on the other hand, think of themselves as scattering from their Christian fellowship or their Christian context or their church participation uh, and being dispersed out into the world but really working hard to remain unstained or unconnected to or or disconnected with uh, and unaffected by the world in which they live so they can until they can get back with their Christian family or their Christian community. Now there certainly is a need uh, to obey the biblical warning to keep oneself unstained from the world. That's in James 1.27. Uh, without any question, we must pursue purity and avoid any behavior uh, that's outside the biblical parameters. But many Christians uh, misinterpret this verse uh, to, to mean to keep themselves away from any meaningful contact with people in the world who engage in sinful behavior. And that's simply not possible if you're going to really be effective in sharing the gospel. You're going to have to engage sinners, uh, be a part of their lives, uh, know them well enough to have a relationship uh, over which the gospel can be shared. Uh, That is a challenge, uh, to be sure, to maintain these relationships without being brought into or ensnared in the behaviors that they're demonstrating. But nevertheless, that is our responsibility. When you're deployed... Uh, you see the people in your daily life as your mission field. Now, here's a, a, a statement that many Christians just don't understand. You already live among the people you are responsible to reach with the gospel. Let me say that again. You already live among the people you're responsible to reach with the gospel. Now, this is a staggering revelation for many Christians. Uh, they think their daily life, their work, their school, and their ministry life, their church attendance and outreach projects, are, are two separate spheres of Uh, parallel orbits, if you will, that are never intended to intersect. Uh, It's like a person who works uh, in an adjacent cube at an office. Uh, You work with this person week after week after week after week, and then one night on your church's visitation night, uh, you knock on a door, and who opens the door but the person in the cube next to you? And she says, you know, I never knew you were a Christian. That illustrates exactly what I'm talking about. You see your evangelism responsibility as going out on a weeknight program or going out on behalf of your church, but never thinking about your evangelism responsibility as being developing a relationship with the person in the cube next to you so that you have the opportunity to and you take advantage of that opportunity and actually share the gospel. It seems absurd, that, but many Christians make this kind of uh, difference uh, between uh, their ministry world and their everyday world. But really, the, 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 the fact is that God has placed you in the context where you're currently living uh, with the responsibility to share the gospel in that context with the people who are all around you, and that's the opportunity that every single believer has. Now, 
how do you live a more deployed lifestyle? In other words, how do you stop thinking of yourself as dispersed, meaning that you're scattered from your Christian friends, your Christian community, your church participation, and you have to keep yourself unstained from anything in the world and disconnected from everyone in the world until you can get back to the safety of your Christian uh, community? How do you avoid that kind of thinking and instead change your mindset so that you see yourself as being deployed? Uh, that you're moving into the community, into relationships with a strong conviction that you are there on purpose with the gospel. How do you do that? Well, a few years ago, I developed what I call the Beatitudes of being deployed. And these are some B phrases that uh, sort of mimic, if you will, the Beatitudes in the Bible, not nearly coming up to their standard, of course, of excellence, because mine are just a um, uh, uh, just mine. They're not anything related to the inspiration of Scripture. But nevertheless, following the same pattern, what does it mean to have the Beatitudes of being deployed? Well, the first one is this. Be engaged. Be engaged. When you're with people, particularly lost people in your community, are you really with them? Are you fully engaged with them? Or are you distracted by other tasks or other priorities uh, while you're with them? Do, you, do people just become part of the wallpaper of life, or are they really three-dimensional parts of your experience and your existence? You know, a few years ago, uh, a friend heard me teaching on these themes, and he heard me use the illustration of our family's involvement over the years in youth sports. Now, while our children were growing up, they were involved in all kinds of sporting events and activities, and so our family was kind of a sports family which meant that we were constantly going to either a practice or a ball game or a team event of some kind. And it was at those uh, practices and ball games and team events that we uh, found ourselves uh, building relationships with not only the children that our children were involved with, but their families, uh, their siblings, and also their parents. And because sports families tend to go from sport to sport to sport, uh, we typically saw these same people uh, throughout the different activities and organizations and leagues that we were involved with over the years. And so it was natural for us to build relationships with them. And I have story after story after story of people that we met through youth sports who came to faith in Christ, uh, were baptized, became part of our church, or were otherwise impacted by the gospel. And I told those stories in the context of teaching on this. And uh, my friend heard me and came up afterwards and said, you know, I've tried that, but it doesn't work that well for me. So we talked about what he could do to improve his sense of being deployed, uh, even through youth sports, as his family was also engaged in many of the same activities ours was. Well, it just so happened that a few weeks later, um, our paths crossed at a sporting event. And, uh, and I noticed the difference uh, that the two of us took in our approach. Uh, when I got to the sporting event, I turned my uh, cell phone off and engaged the people as fully as I could. I was uh, focused on building relationships, dis- having discussions about various issues, catching up on family matters, talking with people about problems at work, uh, laughing at the funny things that were happening on the field as these boys in front of us attempted to play baseball. And then uh, following up on some past conversations, like asking about ailing parents or asking about difficulty that their children may have had in school that I was aware of, or talking in a couple of cases about some marital struggles I was aware of. Just following up and having those continuing conversations, and not just sitting with one person, but over the hour and a half that I was there, kind of moving along and having a chance to talk to different people about different things. I noticed my friend, who seemed to struggle with this concept and what he was doing the whole time. Uh, He was mostly behind the bleachers, pacing back and forth, talking on his cell phone, uh, making call after call and dealing with important matter after important matter. 
So later, uh, we had a chance to talk about that, and I was able to help him understand that maybe the reason that he wasn't having any uh, results in, in reaching out to people with the gospel in the context of the sporting events was that he really wasn't fully engaged in that task while he was there. Uh, he saw being there as an interruption to his schedule. He had very important things he had to get done, and perhaps they were important. I'm not faulting him. I'm just simply saying that there's no possible way that he's going to be deployed among those people at that event if he doesn't turn the phone off and start striking up conversations, immersing himself in people's interests, and getting involved in their lives on terms that they, are, that they understand. So when I say be engaged, what I mean is uh, showing up, yes, but also recognizing that while you're there, you have to have your full attention on the task of representing the gospel, engaging people for the purpose of building relationships so that the gospel might be transmitted in those conversations or in those dialogues. It's something like this. When you drive up to, a, to your activity, whether it's your sporting event that you're attending or whether it's a, a school play, whether it's a social club you're involved with, whether it's the men's club you play golf with, wherever it is that you go to engage the community, to build those relationships, it's like uh, it, it's, it, it works something like this. Before you even get out of the car, uh, you either pray a prayer or you say a reminder to yourself that sounds something like this. I am about to enter my mission field. I must be at my best, and I must engage people fully. I have a purpose for being here, making friends, showing the love of Jesus, and sharing the gospel, or at least as much of the gospel as I can in any conversation. Now, if you can remind yourself of that every single time that you move into a setting where you're going to be with uh, unsaved people or with lost people, it'll help you to be more, de more deployed. Be engaged. Remind yourself or pray a simple prayer that says, Lord, I'm getting out of the car. I must be fully engaged. I'm about to enter my mission field. These are the people you've sent me to reach with the gospel. Help me make friends, talk about Jesus, represent him well, and Lord, as much as possible, bring the gospel into every conversation. Now, quite frankly, there's some conversations won't have any gospel content, but then there'll be those that have some gospel content, and then there'll be those where you have the opportunity to share the full gospel and see people uh, come to faith in Jesus Christ. Be engaged. Okay, a second beatitude is be persistent. Now, some advocates for lifestyle evangelism uh, leave the impression that every conversation must be an in-depth discussion of the gospel, and man, that's just not the case. Sometimes you have to persistently work at building relationships over a significant amount of time before you're going to actually see any result or any response from the person. There's one particular family that illustrates this well for us. Uh, back in the day, we, uh, we coached a t-ball team together. And uh, after the season was over, we had made pretty good friends with the coach that we were working with. And since we were brand new in the community, and these were some of our first friends, uh, you know, we had, we had worked really hard at building that relationship. So at the end of the season, uh, the, the, the other couple actually said to us, would you like to come over to our house? We'd like to have a little cookout to celebrate the end of the year and to celebrate um, all we were able to accomplish and let our kids swim together in our uh, little pool. And and also just get to know each other better and since you're new in the community. Well, man, that was awesome for us. We were so excited because, you know, here we were, uh, young church planters, trying to reach, reach people, trying to build relationships. And here in just a few short weeks, we had made a good enough friend that they were inviting us to their house. And so how awesome that was. So we went for the party. And during the, uh, during the time of, you know, eating together, uh, the woman asked me this question. She said, hey, I heard you, you came out here to Oregon to to uh, plant a church or something. Is that right? And I said, 
to myself, wow, this is exactly what I was hoping would happen. She's open uh, to the gospel. She's open to hearing what I, why we're here and what we're doing. And so I just poured it all out. I, I told about why we had moved and what we were about and, and how important the gospel was in our lives. And then I, I shared the gospel with her and with her family. And, and they just sat there listening politely, not interrupting my rather extended monologue. And when I got to the end, she said these, almost these exact words. She said, so you came out here to Oregon to save all us stupid pagans, right? Well, that cut me to my soul because in my excitement, I guess some arrogance had bleeded through that I somehow communicated that I had come out to Oregon to save the stupid pagans. Well, I started backpedaling fast and tried to explain, no, that, that wasn't why we'd come at all. We came because we really care about people. We really believe the gospel. We really think it's a better way of life, etc. And she recognized how awkward <laughs> the situation had become and assured me that uh, she wasn't offended by what I had said, that she was just poking a little fun at my religious zeal, as she called it. And so we finished that time together, and when we left that night, I thought, man, we will never see these people again. How wrong I was. Uh, this family became friends of ours, and that friendship lasted now for all, oh, for, for, well, lasted for more than 20 years uh, while we lived in Oregon. Uh, we had many opportunities to be in their home. They attended our church on many occasions. Um, I shared the gospel with them. And at a point in time, um, the, the woman actually indicated to me that she felt she had prayed and committed her life to Jesus Christ. Um, her husband never really made that kind of commitment, but nevertheless, we maintained the friendship, even the, in, the, in the, the awkwardness of one of them wanting to make a commitment and the other one not wanting to make a commitment. And this went on for years and years and years, and in fact, it's still going on today. We still have a long-distance relationship with this family uh, that all started with a very awkward conversation uh, that, was re that resulted in a, 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 an apology and an explanation and a willingness to try to keep going with our relationship. And now, all these years later, uh, we've persistently stayed with them for the purpose of continuing to try to get the gospel into their lives. So be engaged and be persistent. Third, uh, be sensitive. Now, knowing when to share the gospel or even bring the gospel into the conversation is sometimes really challenging. Um, you know, it's, it's hard because if you have an ongoing relationship with someone that you see every day at work or you see every other day at a ball practice or, or you see periodically at a social event or a social club you're a part of, it's really challenging to know exactly when to bring the gospel into the conversation. I think of one friend of mine that I met through umpiring. Um, we met through umpiring, and we umpired together every spring and every summer, and then we wouldn't see each other for six months, and we'd pick back up and umpire again together the following season. And this went on for several years. And over the time of my getting to know him through umpiring, we, I learned a lot of details about his life. I, I learned that uh, he had had a difficult marriage, that he was actually uh, separated from his wife and had been not yet divorced but had a long extended separation. I learned that he had served in the military and he bore some emotional scars from the battles that he had been in and the things he had experienced there. I also learned that he had a praying grandmother who loved the Lord and prayed for him and spoke to him often about his need for commitment to Jesus. And so over the years, all of these different details uh, emerged. And when it came time, uh, when, it, when it was coming time for me to leave Oregon and move to California, 
uh, I, I knew that, uh, that my opportunity to have these ongoing conversations with him was going to come to a close, so I invited him out to lunch one day and said, I, I'd like to talk with you, uh, not just about our lives together in umpiring that we've shared over these, these years, but I'd like to talk to you also about uh, just your personal life and maybe some things about that that are important to me. And he agreed to meet with me. So we went out for a barbecue lunch, and we were able to kind of bring a closure to our our umpiring time together and celebrate mutually how much we'd enjoyed working together over the years. And then I was able to share the gospel with him, and he was very receptive that day. He listened intently. He wanted to hear what I had to say. Uh, it was the right moment, right time, right place, but he still was not willing to commit himself to Jesus Christ. You know, that's one of the things I want to communicate in this podcast. Uh, being a deployed Christian means that you're out there with people building relationships, sharing the gospel, engaging them fully, being persistent in the relationship, and then at the right moment, in the right way, at the right time, uh, boldly sharing the gospel, laying it out for them. And then sometimes, I want you to, to hear me say this, I, I, sometimes the gospel's not received. A person doesn't accept Jesus Christ. And what do you do? Well, uh, you maintain the relationship as best you can and keep moving forward, keep having, looking for opportunities to re-engage about the gospel, recognizing that every person uh, who hears the gospel isn't going to respond immediately and may need to have a continued relationship with you before they come, come to that place. Now, it's hard to know when to share the gospel, but it's also easy to hide behind what I call the waiting for the right time excuse. Um, Waiting for the right time often is used as an excuse to never get around to communicating the gospel. You know, my perspective is every time I'm with someone that's not a Christian and I'm thinking about how I can get the gospel to them, that I want to go as far as I can in that conversation with the gospel. And sometimes that's not very far. But other times it's all the way to sharing the full gospel message. Every time that, you with, that you're with someone or every time you're, you're presented with the opportunity, take the opportunity to share as much of the gospel as possible. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that sometimes people will respond to the gospel the first time they hear it. I know that as far as I know, the first time I heard the full gospel message, I responded to the gospel. Now, I may have heard little snippets of it before that, but I know the first time I really heard it, I, I was re ready to respond. But I know other times I've shared with people on multiple occasions, and they've still not yet responded to the gospel. Uh, so we have to be sensitive to know when to, to, to share the gospel, and then when people respond or not, sensitive to know how to continue their relationship so that we can maintain the witness, and that when a person rejects the gospel, we don't let them feel like that they've rejected us, or we don't, certainly don't reject them or end, that, end our relationship uh, over that conversation. Well, uh, another thing that's related to this, another beatitude is be bold. Now, I want you to avoid being crass or rude or arrogant, but I do want you to be intentional. I want you to be bold, to recognize that you have to step up and speak up when it comes to the gospel. This is hard sometimes because we're afraid. We're afraid of rejection personally. Uh, we're afraid of the gospel being rejected and what that might mean in the life of the person we're talking with. Uh, we're afraid of uh, losing face or being embarrassed. Uh, we're, we're afraid of offending people or of in some way putting them on the spot in a way that makes them uncomfortable. I recognize there are all kinds of fears that plague us when it comes to sharing the gospel. But we have to be bold. We have to recognize that the gospel uh, has to be shared and that we are responsible to do it. And we have to recognize that in the right moment, in the right way, at the right time, uh, we, we still have to step up and speak up. And so don't be afraid to share the gospel. Be bold. And then another beatitude is be contagious. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, 
Uh, being contagious means that you share the gospel uh, with people that you know uh, in ways that you feel comfortable and in a context where there's a mutual sense of, uh, uh, of ease and of, uh, of, of comfort. Uh, for example, I've always been comfortable around baseball people and around athletes in general. And so because of my children's being, children being involved in sports and because of my being involved in sports, I have a natural affinity for people that are in, in the sports community. But maybe that's not who you are. Maybe you find yourself in other communities where you have opportunity to share the gospel. One of my favorite stories is of a former employee who was into Civil War reenactment. Uh, this person had... Uh, full uniforms, full uh, uh, props, and was a part of a pretty significant club that put on these different uh, reenactments, and they really kind of plays that they staged that helped to bring history to life. Uh, frankly, I always thought it was a little bit unusual, if not even a little bit weird, but she probably felt the same way about my sports, my sports friends and my sports connections. But in her context, she had developed relationships so that in that group, they had regular devotionals, uh, they had worship services when they did the enactments on Sundays, they even had the person who was playing the chaplain in the armies that they were enacting that was actually a ministry leader who, who, who led not play, not reenacted chapels, but real chapels for the people that were involved. I know another guy that's really into hunting. And a number of men in his church are into hunting. So every, every year during hunting season, they have something called elk camp. And what they do is they, uh, they go out into the woods and they, they create a campsite and they stock it up with coffee and food and other uh, things for two weeks. And they publicize this widely in the hunting community through social media and through signs in gun stores and through other places that the elk camp sponsored by this particular uh, men's ministry is going to be open for the two weeks. And anyone who's hunting in that area is welcome to come by. And when those men come by, there's always coffee, there's food, uh, there's, there's conversation about hunting and about the events of the day. And then <clears throat> every evening around the campfire, there's a Bible lesson, uh, there's prayer, uh, and there's mutual conversation about what it means to live the Christian life as an outdoorsman. Uh, and what's amazing is, this, this group's been doing this for a number of years, what's amazing is dozens and dozens and dozens of men will filter through elk camp one or more nights as they hunt by horseback in these remote regions up in northern Idaho. Uh, that's another affinity, another way of just simply being contagious with the gospel. Uh, so uh, whether it's... Uh, sports friends or whether it's civil war reenactment or whether it's an elk camp uh, for hunters whatever it is find your way of connecting with your community and when you do it naturally and spontaneously you'll find an ease with people that enables the gospel to flow to flow more fully and more easily uh, in those relationships so be attitudes of what it means to be deployed uh, you want to be engaged you want to be persistent you want to be bold. You want to be contagious. You want to live out these beatitudes in such a way that you are able to be deployed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now you say, well, that all sounds good, Jeff, but I just don't have that many non-Christian friends. I'm so caught up with my Christian friends and my Christian activities and my Christian leadership responsibilities that, frankly, I'm just not plugged into people like you're describing. Well, let me give you three quick suggestions of how to fix that. The first thing is, you may need to attend fewer church activities, and you may need to spend less time with your Christian friends. Now, please understand, 
that you must make a foundational decision that essential church participation is non-negotiable and maintaining Christian friendships is vital. Uh, it is not possible to live an effective Christian life cut off from Christian fellowship or Christian friends. I'm not suggesting that in the least. What I am asking you to consider is more balance. Yes, you need church activities, and yes, you need Christian friends, but you also need to be plugged into the community in such a way that you're building relationships with unbelievers. Second, uh, you have to invest, choose to invest time with unbelievers. Don't see your relationships at work or in your social activities or in your neighborhood. Don't see those as a place where you parachute in, try to stay uncontaminated by anyone in that context, and then get back to the Christians as safely and quickly as possible. No, choose to invest time in unbelievers, to see yourself as being deployed among them for the purpose of reaching them with the gospel. And then third, change your attitude toward unbelievers. If you see unbelievers as objects of mission or prospects or targets, believe me, they will not want to be friends with you. No one wants to be considered a prospect or an object of mission or a target. They want to be perceived as friends. They want to be known as people. And so change your attitude toward unbelievers and see them as people who are in need of the gospel, people that you want to be friends with, people that you'd like to have share life with, and in doing so, they'll sense your attitude and they'll be more open to a gospel witness from you. Well, today I've challenged you to live more deployed, not dispersed, to put these, to put these beatitudes into practice, to be engaged, be persistent, be bold, be contagious, be contagious. Uh, to find yourself out there on mission with the gospel, to be intentional about what you're doing. And you say, well, I'm not really that connected with the uh, unsaved community. I'm not really that connected with unbelievers. Um, I'm out there, but I'm not really connected. Well, first, you may have to disengage from some of your Christian activity and fellowship in order to really invest more time with unbelievers. You have to work hard at doing that so that when you're with them, you're really with them, not just parachuted in, but really deployed among them and seeking to build those relationships and make those connections that the gospel can flow through from you to them. And then really watch your attitude. Uh, these people that we're trying to reach are not objects of mission. They're not prospects. They're not targets. These are people, people that God loves, Jesus died for, and we have a responsibility to reach. So today... Let's make a determined commitment to be more deployed, not just dispersed. And as we're doing that, we'll model what it means to effectively lead as Christian evangelists and as Christian witnesses. And that's a big part of what it means to lead on.